Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about shape-shifting in Dungeons & Dragons and other role-playing games. From wizards and druids to lycanthropes, uh, is it, should it be a curse or should it be a blessing? One of the most complicated operations in D&D that years and years have gone by and people have tripped over it designing these rules over and over again. So we'll talk about that today. I'm sure that Paul and I will need uh, our viewers' live help today because <laughs> even just minutes ago, we were looking at the fifth edition rules and saying, oh no, <laughs> oh no, it's very complicated. What does Sage Advice say? What do the designers say? Yep. Uh, so yep. we'll be looking for everybody's help on that uh, today on Water DMs. Excellent. Excellent. And of course, you know, it's an important part of mythology, right? You, you can look up, you just look go to Wikipedia and you just look up shape-shifting, not even talking about D&D. And there's so many wonderful stories in legend and mythology and it just goes on and on and on and on. One of the more, you know, interesting parts of, you know, imagining a world that's filled with magic. Uh, you kind of want this to be a capacity. And of course, in mythology like Circe and Odysseus, Fafner and Norse myth, and even Bjorn in uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, it feels like it should be part of our fantasy games, and then it turns out to be maybe the single most complicated thing, as a matter of fact. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, those are those are um, much more uh, high-minded examples than I had, Dan. Of course, I was, uh, I was thinking of the uh, witch that turned me into a newt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the classic example honestly that always comes to my mind when i think of um changing changing shape uh in terms of a, a magical world is actually uh, press the wrong button there sorry dan trying to get that up there we go sorry trying to put this up uh the uh disney movie sword in the stone oh. in which merlin huh? and the witch i can't remember a character's name get into a wizard's duel which basically involves them rapidly changing shape between different creatures to one-up each other do you remember this movie dan i you know what i have not seen the disney version of this no. but no. i've read you know the white you know i believe it was uh, based on th uh, white's um uh you know stories uh, and I've read T.H. White's uh, Once in Future King over and over again. And the first, the first volume of that, uh, that I think inspired that movie. The whole point, I can't believe I didn't, that should, this should have been my initial pitch today, honestly, <laughs> Paul. Yeah. I'm so glad you reminded me. And the whole point of that is uh, for Merlin to be, you know, lead Arthur through his childhood education by transforming him into different animals and seeing what their different life cycles are basically mm -hmm. and what their different perspectives are uh yeah that's that's incredibly that's incredibly fundamental why joshua did, why is, did i not think of that joshua is reminding me <laughs> that uh that uh, the the other character is madam mim thank you for ah. that. um and then classically of course they go into all kinds of like classic different different creatures as you know crabs and hippopotamus and elephants and all kinds of weird stuff as they turn as they one up each other and it ends with her turning into a dragon, uh, 
and and him turning into a virus. A germ. A germ. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Yeah. 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 Really? Turns into a germ to infect her. Oh my goodness. With disease. There you go. I never. I've never seen that movie. Two options that are surely disallowed in any form of D and D. I don't know. That's going to go out on the limb. Say, can't be a dragon. Can't be a. Can't be a virus. I think you'll be very interested, Paul, when we look at original D and D's polymorph spell. Yeah, I think you. I think you might be surprised, possibly. All right. All right. Let's Um, (laughs) let's 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 go to the tape right now. Well, actually, let's go to the tape right now. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, let's go to the first. Let's go to the first image we get. Oh, Let, okay. Let's yeah, look yeah, at yeah, original yeah, yeah. D and sure. Okay, so here's original D and D, Volume One, 1974, mm-hmm. and uh, very short, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is about as long as the spells get. Honestly, these are yeah. among the longest spells in original D and D. And you can see for the first, you know, number of editions, I think what we would call it here is zero. First, second, third edition had separate polymorph self and polymorph other spells. Yep. And so here's where that started. Um, and you can see polymorph spell, the, first, the, the polymorph self, the first one there is a spell allows the user to take the shape of anything, underscore anything you desire. Um, you will not get the combat abilities. Um, for example, while the user may turn himself into a dragon of some type, he will not gain the ability to fight and breathe, but he will be able to fly. So you immediately die of asphyxiation. No, no. It's talking about, of course, fire breath or whatever magical breath that the dragon has, which, of course, is exactly, you know, is both disproving and proving my, my point of the Madame Mim there, because she totally breathes fire in that in that bit. Okay. Um, there okay. you go. So and could she be a dragon with a polymorph self? But what about polymorph others? Because you notice that polymorph others there has different rules. It says the spell gives all characteristics of the form of the creature for polymorph others. So a, a creature polymorphed into a dragon acquires all of the dragon's abilities, not necessarily mentality. I, I love I love the example of a polymorph a troll polymorphed into a snail would have innate resistance to being stepped on and crushed by a normal man. Excellent. Excellent. Now, among uh, the questions, right? So th- I also feel this is among the more cryptic original D&D spells because you notice that there aren't any references to really mechanical rules. Mm-hmm. So among my questions there are like what Paul just picked up on is it would have resi- a troll being polymorphed into a snail would have resistance to being stepped on. Like, how much? Like, <laughs> are you talking, is that an increase in AC? Does that mean it has the same hit points? Is yeah. that like when it says that you that you don't necessarily change mentality uh so apparently sometimes you do and sometimes you don't and when is that and how do you determine that um so this is one of the places where it it leaves lots and lots of interpretation for the dm probably more so than i think any other spell in the system i feel Um, like i feel like the snail example is too specific to not actually have come up in a game Right, I feel like that's that's <laughs> probably some some player was being very clever and like I turn the turn a troll into a snail and I step on it and the DM goes aha, <laughs> snail has a hard shell, doesn't actually die. <laughs> and I think it regenerates here too. Also, in this case, does, does it regenerate? Right? Okay, does I don't it? Know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's very. Or is it the other very, way around? 
very unclear. But I mean, as the you other can thing, see, let me ask this. Yeah. One other thing while we're looking at this, uh, Paul, for polymorph others, what's the duration? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I can I tell mean, you the range. The spell text right there. Yeah, what's the range? <laughs> Six inches. <laughs> yeah, but you can't tell me the duration. No. So, no. By, but I can tell you the default, duration of uh, polymorph yeah. self, but I can't tell you the range. Um, anyway. Right. <laughs> Let me let me take a step back before we jump too too deep into this. But by default, it. it's infinite. So if there's no duration, it doesn't end. So but so by default in these rules, it it, it is actually infinite. And your your the, the the other person that you've polymorphed is polymorphed forever. Let me let me ask you this, Dan. Why do you want to change your own or somebody else's shape in D anD D? To what end? Great. Uh, I think that you need to be looking at the uh, mythology for that. So it seem it seems like. You know, uh, it could be either a curse or a blessing. So it mm -hmm, seems like mm -hmm. if you have Cersei in your game, she is seems prone to be transforming people to uh, take them out of their mortal capacity, make them not able to talk to capture them, and then probably use them for food food source later on. Um, uh, I can imagine turning someone into a frog, of course. And then, like in a lot, you know, as, as as you know, people that have worked in the game industry, I think we both have these experiences of there's a designer intent, and then when players start interacting with it, they start using it in surprising ways, right. namely to their benefit, right. to get some kind well, of combat advantage. And all of a sudden, you turn around, someone's polymorphing a dragon. Right. right. I would uh, I would argue. So so yes, for for shape changing somebody else, typically, right? If you're talking, especially an enemy or somebody who's an antagonist to you to you you're talking about some way like making them something truly disadvantageous right that they're going to um be incredibly limited in what they can do and or just die right and yes. um yes. right and then and then the inverse of like if i want to cast on myself or an ally to increase my power right or um in some cases i've seen it used for like transport right like sometimes like i need right. i need a new movement style right. Uh, I, or I want to be something big, like I'm going to be a horse that somebody else can ride. I, that that, that don't, never happens, right? More like I want to be a dragon. Everybody get on board. Let's go fly to the new place, right? Something like that. Um, so that's that's interesting. And then I feel like most, I feel like a lot of players then try to stretch that last one, like not just transport, but like what other interesting, unusual shape or ability can I claim and use that in a truly unusual way? Uh, I've rarely seen it, but I feel like that thought process goes through players' heads a lot. Right. And I cer certainly, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, legendary tradition mm -hmm. of, le like we saw in the Disney movie, of maybe wizards fighting through changing of shape. Mm -hmm. And one of them turns into maybe a snake to try to crawl into the underground and get away. And the other one turns into a, into a hawk with really great eyesight to spot the snake on the ground before it can get away and go grab it. Right. And one of them turns into an antelope to run off, and the other one turns into a cheetah that's even faster. Uh, you know, one of them turns into something that can breathe underwater to try to escape that way and on and on. Sure. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, I kind of want, frankly, to see in my games. There are additions of D&D that squeeze that out of the system, and I feel it's a bit of a loss. So I feel like I would like to see a lot of that kind of that kind of usage of what would be considered mundane animal powers that maybe doesn't get used enough. Hmm. 
I would say there's there's Let's actually there's, there's another use when you get a chance. There's yeah, another yeah, use which is disguise, right? I don't know. This maybe pushes it a little bit further, but when we're talking about shape change, right, and you're talking right. about like obviously we're going to talk about polymorph a lot, but my head also went to things like what about doppelgangers? Should we talk about doppelgangers? Why not? We yeah. can talk about lycanthropes. Lycanthropes, sure, sure. We can talk about berserkers. Berserkers. Why berserkers? Great question. I'm glad you asked. You know, uh, it, you know, it, the uh, the Norse myths are kind of sketchy. Uh, berserkers go into battle. Uh, they go crazy. They are wolf headed. Uh, I guess that they're wearing a wolf pelt, maybe so that their friends don't get near them when they're enraged, hmm. or maybe they've actually turned into wolves because they're lycanthropes. It's a little unclear, honestly, what's happening there. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. okay. Right. Some other things we're seeing in the chat there, which is great. So uh, Joshua was saying that uh, among your tactics in high school was polymorph a friend into a basilisk. A basilisk, fascinating. Yeah. Um, so not as big as a dragon. Mm -hmm. um, and clears the whole level, apparently, by turning everything to stone when they just look at it. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Is that fair game? Does that seem know. too much? Right. Well, well, that's the thing, right, is uh, right. I think a lot of the balancing a lot of the, the 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 squirming we're going to see in all the rules is around the right. the players discovering these edge cases, right? My in in my case, I remember uh, as a young gamer that polymorph other that the right choice was to turn the your opponent to a trout because then they would yes. just then they would just asphyxiate, right? Right. Right. <laughs> And the, you know, the rules, you know, then you get these corner cases. And this is why the polymorph spell text, uh, you know, expanded, expanded is, is second edition, third edition. I think they added a saving throw bonus if you were turned into something that didn't have breathing capacity in the current environment. You could still fail it, but there'd be a saving throw bonus. And then I think third edition maybe made that impossible, I believe. Um, but that was, uh, that was, I've, I think I've seen that get used and go, Hmm, is that, is that something we really want? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, Steven's reminding us even more exotic stuff in the mythology, like Loki turning into a flame. And then in response, Heimdall turning into water and raining on him to put him out. Right. That's very, pretty clever. <laughs> getting, getting very, very wonder twins ish now. Form of <laughs> bucket of water. Okay. <laughs> great. Yeah. Great. Great. So we saw the we saw the original D and D rules. It was super super brief. Maybe we we'll, maybe we can flip over and look at the first edition rules. It's very closely related, mm -hmm. right? They're just oh no. Um, <laughs> so now on screen we have only polymorph other because we couldn't fit the two different varieties on screen at the same time and if as you're looking at the video version here um it's it's very long it's taking up our whole screens real estate at the moment for the first edition and most of it and so as you can see here you know it being very powerful being able to turn to a dragon at will in original dnd they start to try to put these caps on it and here's mm -hmm. gary gygax trying to put a bunch of limitations on it um, most of the text in the middle is a big complicated formula for, for um, changing the mental state, as was mm. kind of hinted at in original D&D. And so it's, it, it more or less boils, you, you could have rolled a D20 and try to roll under your intelligence score. 
Okay, you could have. That's basically what this comes down to, is that there's there's a 5% chance per intelligence point that you're going to retain your own mind and not turn mentally into the monster. Um, and then there's a modifier for difference in hit dice. Right. Uh, which is, which right. is bad anyway, news so there's for a uh, attempt to turn the fighter into a, into a basilisk. Because uh, maybe that basil just turns around and turns your magic user into a stone. Exactly, exactly. That's what most of the, so it's quite possible with Polymorph Other <laughs> that you're going to literally lose your mind. Um, and now Josh also pointed out, of course, that the text in original D&D did say specifically this lasts until dispelled. Here in first edition, it's a little bit more complicated, a little bit more explicit. They do have a duration line that specifically says permanent, so you're going to permanently change and possibly lose your mind. Yep. And then there's a little bold-faced note there. It says, look, you better go look at the Constitution rules here. Because in addition, <laughs> when you change form in first edition by the rules, and I know a lot of people didn't actually um, adhere to this, but by the rules, you have to go to the Constitution table and basically make a Constitution saving throw. There's a specific uh, save called the System Shock Roll, or just die. And so every time you get polymorph, there's about, on average, about a 50% chance that you just die instantly. Interesting. And what shape and is you the have to make that roll. That happens? What was that? What shape is the corpse in when that happens? The original um, shape or the new shape? Well, it depends on which side of it, because you need to make that save in both transformations, <laughs> when you start and when you come out. So I think according to the, I think according to the text... Right. If you if you die at the start, then you're in the new shape. But if you die at the end, then you're back in your own shape and you're dead. Hmm. So that's tough. That's I, th I think a lot of you know, like a lot of you know if people get started with fifth edition or something like that. They'd probably be surprised that there's a lot of core rules of just instant death around polymorph. Maybe that wasn't a great fix. I mean, you've got this interesting effect in the rules. You have this interesting spell. You kind of want to use it. And then to have it, um, you know, safety bumper with with one, you know, fifty percent instant death. It does is maybe that's not the best. Maybe that's not the best fix. I feel like it got split here to polymorph other and polymorph self because they wanted to sort of massage the you're turning in the the, the two use cases I was talking about, right? Of like you want to like right. turn your opponent to something that is very detrimental that they might die or anyway. Um, or you want to turn yourself into something much more powerful so you gain a bunch of abilities. And the problem is that there's the third use case, which they haven't thought about, which is I have allies and I want to turn someone else into something that's beneficial. And so, so Polymorph Other here, I think, is, is struggling and, is, and it has this conflict of like, well, is it being used as a curse against my enemies or a boon for my allies? I think that's fair. Unclear unclear i almost I I almost fair. feel like they needed a third one or to reword polymorph self and other to like i don't know what curse and anyway it's 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 convoluted when we go forward to third edition right mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. instinct that, that, that paul's talking about there is what they tried to do right? once they got to the revision once they got to the 2003 3.5 revision they totally tried to make that distinction as they had one spell that was called Baleful Polymorph, that was turning an opponent clearly into a helpless creature of some type. Uh, and then there was, I think, Normal Polymorph, which was higher level. I'm a little hazy on this. Maybe someone can help me out here. 
uh, normal polymorph, which was for turning yourself into a more powerful creature, I think is how it was working for a while. Interesting. There's a there's a more complicated story to that, but I think that that instinct of the the baleful polymorph special spell in 3.5 was attempting to do that. You notice that even in original D and D, it says you know the very first thing it's thinking about is turning another person into a dragon. Yeah. So it seems like it was coming up at least in the playtests mm-hmm. before the first ever publication. But I agree, it's it's an awkward fit of trying to fit in this this curse plus ally help thing into one spell. You know, I um, you know, funny thing is this the 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 struggles here of polymorph came up for me actually in the writing of a module when I was um, uh, writing uh, Mirror Mirror. One part of the plot line is that there is an NPC who has been turned into a frog by a witch, and in the old school edition, I was just like, oh, it was just polymorphed, right? The end. Um, and then it and permanent and right, and then in the. um, in the fifth edition variant, I was like, "Ooh, that doesn't work. I need to like special case this, or use a different spell, or change this." I actually ended up rewriting that bit to actually not have the target turn into a frog at all, but rather, I think I it was used a it was, it was a an imprisoned spell, an imprisonment spell was used to trap him in a small statue of a frog. Oh, oh, fascinating. Yeah, because how I do was... you feel about that? Like, I know that. Um... And people should look for that on, on Drive Through RPG. So that's a that's a product that Paul published, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is great. I've read it, um, and you know I think a lot of the designers that we've talked to on the show in the past, Paul, say that they you know they write they originally draft an adventure, thinking fantasy legend, thinking original D anD D, and then have to do a lot of work to transform it to fifth edition like that because it's very much its own thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Is that, is that a pr- process that we're happy about? I mean, or... I certainly didn't like doing it. You know, part of me wanted to be like, yeah. well, you know, this is based right. on fairy tale and the, there right. should be the possibility of a witch turns somebody into a frog. And um, part a big part of me just wanted to hand wave it and just be like, whatever, she's got magic, don't worry about it, right? But... The problem is that the that the players are going to want to know how to deal with it, right? Well, what kind of magic was used, and how do I undo it, and how does this fit in the you know the reality of the of the system we're playing in, right? So then my options are either like invent a whole separate thing and write the details out of how this separate thing mm-hmm. works, mm-hmm. or find some way to use the rules as written. Um, so so that's that's right. the direction I went. Um, Yep, yep. So, um, uh, let's see. J- uh, <laughs> Julian is pointing out in the chat, but uh, but I could have used true polymorph, the ninth level uh, spell, which I think is still not permanent. If I'm if I'm correct, right? That's so. While Paul is looking that up, we should we should mention up to over... one hour. Not a very oh. good spell for turning somebody into a frog, okay. as it turns out. Okay. okay. Yep. I, I should point out across the editions, right? You've got polymorph self, polymorph other. True polymorph, polymorph any object, shape change, alter self. Um, and then uh, again, 3.5 came in and had baleful polymorph, troll shape, uh, drider shape. And they tried to split it up into mm-hmm. individual monsters that you were turning into so that they could fine tune the balance issues. Um, and I'm sure that we are not going to get to every single spell, every single shape change ability or spell in D&D. And I feel bad about that, but it's... It, it spawned such a such a wild array of attempts 
Yeah. Um, it's it's really an interesting, unique case, honestly, in the D and D rule system. And of course, we'll also be talking about stuff like uh, Druid Wild Shape, right? That's the attempt. If we have, <laughs> if we have time now, Steve, so a couple of things, other things that came up in the in the chat, which is great. Uh, Stephen is asking, uh, why not a curse spell, Paul? Oh, is curse spell in is, fifth is, an option. Is, is that the? It's not actually called. What is the actual name of that spell? Is it actually called just curse? I can't remember. Um, I'm sure that I flipped through a lot of spells and looked for something that was uh, appropriate uh, to the to the level. Uh, that is bestow curse, uh, which is a third level spell. Um, I, th I feel like it can't quite do the extreme effects of turning someone into a completely helpless frog. The, the point of the plot was that it looked he looked just like a normal frog in a garden, and you had to know that 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 it, it could possibly be this NPC you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, I think it's I, th I think fifth edition is pretty limited in bestow curse about what it can do. You can you can have a disadvantage on an ability check or, um, yeah, yeah, kind of kind of become in this weird sort of stunned and sorceful state. Oh, and by the way, duration is up to one minute. Really? Uh, that's that's the, uh, honestly a problem with a lot of the fifth edition things for these right. kind of plot based effects is that fifth edition is really clamped down on the duration of a lot of a lot of spell effects. So we're trying to find something that would last long enough, um, you know, such that like it could have happened weeks ago according to the uh, to the plot, and and the players could then stumble upon it was was important um, for me anyway for that particular use case. Imprisonment I think has a duration of until dispelled. So that, that works pretty well. And the whole point of the effect I was looking for was that the character was trapped and unable to communicate. So Now, Julian, is it Julian? Yeah, so Julian is, is uh, pointing out that, and this is why we needed people's help. We knew we yeah. were going to need every, the whole research squad's help <laughs> today. So thank you so much for this. So Julian's pointing out that True Polymorph, 5th edition True Polymorph, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is uh, ninth level, can be made permanent if you if the caster concentrates on it for the entire hour um and i did see that here a second ago um right if the spell becomes permanent you no longer have control over the creature da -da 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 -da. yeah, yeah right. there you go if you concentrate on the spell for the full duration the spell lasts until it is dispelled interesting 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 so these spells are very long, right? So even in fifth edition, yeah. you know, and, and frankly, if we get, if we look at the third edition rules, that, that probably was the maximal length rules length. It went on, okay, here's third edition just for polymorph other, mm -hmm. and it goes on for almost three whole columns, uh, on and on and on and on. And of course, third edition tried really, really hard. You know, Sean Reynolds and those guys tried really, really hard to you know, make a stable game that was predictable and known, and they're trying to deal with every single, your, your, your physical abilities are gonna change, your strength and so forth, your mental abilities will not, you gotta go in and you gotta ch change your attack modifiers and your hit point bonuses and your skill bonuses, and the skills interact, and if the monster had a skill bonus, you have to add it to yours and on and on and on and on and on. Um, and so it gets very, very long. As Paul and I, with everybody's help, are looking at fifth edition rules, we were kind of surprised this morning at how long they still are. Like they've for a lot of stuff, they've managed to cut it down. Why is this text 
still so long that you and I, Paul, are having trouble finding these clauses like true polymorph possibly becoming permanent. Because uh, they're still struggling to solve all the many edge cases, right. I think, right? That are still... Right. It's still uh, a very easy to abuse spell, right? I think that's ultimately the problem is that, you know, it, it's sort of like the, the, the benefit and the curse of the spell, right? That like, on the one hand, it's so open to your imagination. There's so many cool things you can do with this spell. On the other hand, you could really abuse it to the point of like people pointing out like, ah, oh, that's like a fourth level spell that's more powerful than any other spell in the game. And it's broken and OP and get rid of it. Now, what I think that you, this morning you had an instinct for what you expect to see in the in the fifth edition layout. Remind me, not <laughs> hazy. What was that? What was that? I was. This was a joke. A joke I was making. Here, can we jump to the fifth edition text? Uh, the joke I was making was that with this many spells that all kind of have the same effect and a lot of the same text, that I was surprised they didn't just boil it down to a condition. Uh, so the. The effect of polymorph could be written in two lines, I think, in 5th edition that says, you gain the condition polymorphed. See page 297. <laughs> or whatever. Right? <laughs> what, what do people think about that? Because as we noticed, so right this second, we're looking at the poly, the, the basic 4th level spell polymorph in 5th edition. It's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 paragraphs. Not super long I mean, paragraphs. Yeah. And then, and then and as I we think, try to parse yeah. these other spells, it repeats all of this text and then adds one or two little fine you know, fine details. So that does, that does occur to me that like, it's, there it's, should have been some way of, it's kind of the fifth edition way of doing things right. And organizationally yeah. in the text is to, is to boil it down to a, to a thing that is somewhere else in the book, which of course has its own problems of then you're flipping through the book and like, Oh, and now I got to jump to this page. Now I got to jump to that page. Um, but seriously, uh, as we're looking at the text here and trying to discover, like, what is the difference between the shape change mm -hmm. spell and the true mm -hmm. polymorph spell? They're both ninth level. Why would I pick one versus the other? It takes a while. It takes a while to stare at those spells and go, uh, okay, okay, so I guess with shape change, you can change repeatedly, and it's a self only. Whereas true polymorph, you could use it in this in this curse way on a on an, an enemy and possibly make it permanent. Yeah. And I sort of... <laughs> William's suggesting you gain the condition newt. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> see... see <laughs> Uh, I think I would want that. I think in my rules, I would want one condition that was just called newt. 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 You are a newt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like then uh, you might you might see in like uh, the Tasha's expansion the uh, the uh, uh, I got better ability. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk. <Okay. laughs> let's talk before we uh, before at some point we switch to druids. Yeah. Uh, let me let me mention a couple of things in older older editions is it was a couple minutes back in the chat, but I believe it was John who was asking, you know, that whole system shock thing that was in first, second edition, technically sort of that, that was technically in original D&D too, uh, in a very cryptic way. There's a constitution table and it says, there is a percentage chance for your character to withstand adversity. Well, what is that? <laughs> what the heck is that? And it withstand gives withstand adversity. Uh, yeah, it just says this is your chance to withstand adversity, and it's a percentage chance based on your constitution. And there's two examples. There's one being turned to stone, and there's one being paralyzed. So uh, that so in both cases, they're being turned into something else. Was that a general idea? Was it intended to be? 
include polymorph all along, as is explicit in first edition, where you intended to have a 50% chance of dying outright anytime you're paralyzed? Was that the idea in original D&D? So arguably, that was you could read it in a particular way that that's been there all along. I love, I love maybe the, I love the turn of phrase withstand adversity. Sorry, just I can't right? stuck on that now because I, I feel like that's maybe the only resistance to the to the spell hurt feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need a new, a new ability score for that <laughs> moral moral courage. Um, <laughs> And I have to, I have to bring up because I think it's one of the most fascinating cases in all the D and D rule system. I have to bring up what did happen in third edition. A couple of people in the chat uh, knew that this was. We should talk about this. Is um, we saw the giant? Oh my god, the giant block of rules text for polymorph. And of course, we know that druids have wild shape. And in third edition, it did say, "Go look at the polymorph ability." Mm-hmm. Many. It was so complicated that most of the adventures had to have special stat blocks. And, and it would, even though the spell says you can turn it into whatever you want, the adventurers would say, okay, this person really loves turning into this one particular form, and here's the page-long stat block that you need for the one form. <laughs> and we're not going to use up one page per animal, but we will give you all the numbers all modified that you need for the one thing that they really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you flip forward in the images, Paul, to the one after, um, thir- it's the, the one that says a picture of a troll, kind of a small picture of a troll there. Uh, this one? There you go. Yep. So you get to uh, 3.5, right around 2003, and this is where they go, okay, we're going to try to split it up now. We're going to have baleful polymorph that's bad, and you have regular polymorph that's good, and other spells reference those, and other spells reference those things. There's a big chain of references. So here's where that gets bad. And all you have all kinds of supplement books and all kinds of splat books that are referring back to Polymorph, and the designers become really unhappy about it. And so in 2006, you get this fascinating article. I'm looking, I got this through the Wayback Machine this morning. Hmm. Fascinating article by Andy Collins. Uh, that's labeled the polymorph problem. And I just cut out some of the paragraphs. I think it's really fascinating. But his main point is that the polymorph spell is just too good, is that every single monster in the game and every single supplement provides additional new capacities or choices for a wizard that has the polymorph spell, or possibly a druid uh, if you know you're, you're presenting new monstrous animals or something like that. And that's a pretty reasonable assessment there, um, the, the paragraph at the bottom that we're looking at says, what's more, every new monster published makes the spell, the polymorph cell, slightly more powerful. Designers and developers who create a perfectly balanced and playable monster need to remember to compare it to others uh, for purposes of the polymorph spell. And then, Paul, if you flip one, one image further down, it's got a pic- picture of a wand yeah. there, right? Yeah. So here's their fix, circa 2006. They say the latest errata for D&D 3.5 we're gonna, we've already tried to fix Polymorph three times. We have errated it, and we've tried to tweak those rules fully three times, and instead we're just going to stop. We're going to throw in the towel. We are not going to try to fix it anymore, and we're just going to remove it from every single place in the game that references it. So every Druid ability, every true Polymorph spell, every Altar Shape ability, every monster that ever referenced Polymorph, we're going to release 
50 pages of errata for every book, every monster, up every supplement, officially removing the reference and changing the reference to a different ability. For every, every book, every core book, every supplement, every adventure that's ever been written for third edition to date. Okay. Um, and so, and they also re officially remove it from all organized play. So if you're playing at the time what the organized play was, Polymorph officially prohibited in all official tournament convention games. So if you're a crazy DM or player and you still want to use Polymorph in your games, that's on you. We're not going to try to fix it or handle it anymore, but it's officially gone from all references and all organized play. And then this last paragraph, it just blew my mind, says, now we recognize that we're not going to catch in our errata, in our 50 pages, we're not going to catch every single reference to Polymorph that we would like to take out of the game, or similar abilities may be hiding out there. As we locate them, we will update the errata accordingly. If you, dear reader, find a reference that you think we've overlooked, please send an email to the special address polymorph at wizards.com. We have a special email address that's just polymorph at wizards.com just for you alerting us to remaining references to polymorph in any of the products that we still need to take out. Um, and but but for now, this errata should be enough for you and your players to be able to take Polymorph entirely out of the D and D game system. Jeez. But if not, email us at Polymorph at Wizards. <laughs> Did you, have you emailed that recently, Dan? Super it's not curious working. if anyone's still. It's not working. Just so you know. Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, and it, of course, this whole article here is, you know, I have to go to the Wayback Machine because the, the article itself is not on wizards.com anymore. But imagine that. Imagine having to set up a particular communication channel, a particular email account, just to handle the ongoing issues of one spell, namely for shapeshifting. That's fascinating. fascinating. I want to go back <laughs> to that argument of every monster expands the power of the polymorph spell because that smells right. to me a lot like the argument against clerics right that every splat book that introduces new clerical spells expands the power of clerics because they don't have to have spell books right so all clerics have access to all spells and ergo they get more powerful with every expansion and that's a problem well, I hadn't thought about that, Paul, but, uh, you know, I guess I'm convinced that's a really good argument. So I think I'm going to take clerics out of my games now. <laughs> and if you disagree with that, or if you do agree and you're worried about more additional don't, clerics, don't please email clerics at no. wanderingdms.com. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> don't email clerics at wanderingdms.com. It doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> By the way, I should say that this article by Andy Collins is no relation to me. <laughs> so apparently we have a we do uh -huh. have a family problem of running into this ditch over and over again. So sorry about that, everybody. Um, <laughs> you can send your wandering DMs heat mail to where the normal addresses, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Dear, what a dear. fascinating case though, right? Yeah. Just got so yeah. out of control in third edition. That is that is amazing. Honestly, I can tell you, um, when I when I first started looking at fifth edition, I didn't even think to look at polymorph. To be honest, I just okay. just you know wasn't on my radar at that time as as an interesting. 
thing that that's that's been problematic until i saw an episode of critical role where they used it and i was like what's going on here what is happening i don't understand this is so bizarre and a couple of things that really threw me in fifth edition uh, especially watching the critical role folks play it was one this idea that as soon as you knock them down to zero hit points they they were revert to their original shape right and and not only not only revert to original shape but are actually okay right so they were constantly trying to turn their enemies into something like a cow which had enough hit points that it could absorb some collateral damage without then becoming a useful enemy again got it that was interesting like i never thought of that but yeah they were like don't turn it into something super weak because it'll just you know be in the radius of a fireball or something and then it'll turn right back and it's a waste of a spell fascinating wow so they wanted yeah so they wanted to turn them into something meaty but useless um and then um the other thing was uh in fifth edition is the fact that even polymorph self uh reduces your mental capacity to that of the creature and so i remember watching a case where the, the a friendly was turned into a moth so that they could fly into a place unknown undetected and then was reminded by Matt Mercer, the DM, but now you have to yep. behave like a moth because yep. you have the mental yep, yep. capacity of a moth. I see that. And they had a lot of jokes about that player then pretending to be a moth and be like, ooh, curtains, delicious. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, you see, you can see that, that little bit of wickedness all the way back in the, right, the original D&D rule of you may not necessarily you know, take on the mental capacity. And it's like, does that mean yes, no, maybe sometimes? What are you, what are you doing to me, Gary? Yeah. Um, and yeah. different editions have flip-flopped either way. In third edition, it was the opposite. You specifically get all the physical abilities and you specifically keep all your mental abilities unchanged. And that caused the need for these matrix combined uh, stat blocks. And then sadly, right? sadly, I watched, you know, them come up with like, Okay, well, we're looking that they, when they were looking for the kinds of creatures they want to turn into, they're specifically looking at the intelligence and wisdom scores of those creatures, right? So they know, yeah. like, okay, good, I'll still be able to think logically in this shape. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I see that. Yeah, and then and then you end up with and and I briefly played uh, a D and D campaign where I was a druid, um, uh, not not a circle of moon druid, but uh, a druid nonetheless, uh, with some shape changing ability, and you end up like on these websites. I can't remember where it is. But I ended up hunting down websites that like break down. Here's every creature you can turn into as various levels of druid, and they kind of gave it a red, green, yellow as to whether it was a good choice, and yeah. like broke it down to like here's here's the advantages, here's the disadvantages, blah blah blah. Uh, one of my favorites to turn into uh, again as because one of the problems with the Circle of Moon, of course, is that you're actually fairly restricted in the CR level that you can turn into. Um, I enjoy turning into a giant badger. Uh, because they had the ability to burrow underground. Nice. So I could Super nice. try to sneak my way across the battlefield and then jump out and get someone. Super nice. Now, just in case one of our viewers or listeners isn't as familiar uh, with 5th edition as we are, because we are real experts, um, the Circle of the Moon is, of course, the, the special path for druids that gives them expanded wild-shaping abilities. Really interesting um, how so many restrictions they put on druids there because there's a whole thing about they're limiting the CR level of the mon- of the creature you can turn right. into and they limit right. the uh, locomotion right they're like at certain you have to get to certain levels before you can turn into flyers or swimmers note right. they missed burrowers <laughs> got it clever super clever super clever yeah. it's interesting because in um, in third edition 
Like in first edition, there just wasn't any limit. You can turn into a Brontosaurus or a you know Titanothere or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, in third edition, they were capping it by hit dice. So whatever I think the the target's original hit dice were, you couldn't increase it, if I recall correctly. But then that opens up problems like I'm going to turn into a really small creature with some hideous special ability like a cockatrice and turn everybody to stone even though I have low hit dice. So in fifth edition, they they flipped it and they're trying to cap it by uh, challenge rating, mm-hmm. at least for the druids. I don't see that same restriction on the polymorph spell. Um, about the movement rates and stuff? Or the about the challenge rate limit. Oh, I thought that was... Um, uh, I thought that was in there. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway. It's quite a bit of text. I'm not, it's I'm quite not a lot seeing text. it right now. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a bit of text. But, you know, John had a, had a question, and I do too. So as, as an old school player, I would uh, normally interpret the, like, you lose your mind as you've lost the character. Now it's an NPC, and the DM's just running it like a monster. How did uh, Critical Role run that? It, it, it sounds like the, the, the player was still in control. Even yeah, the player was still in mind. control. Um, the player was, oh, I see. Are we still looking at the 5th edition text? Oops. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the player was still in control. Um, but there was trust there at the table of like, nope, you're a you know, intelligence three moth or whatever. Behave like one, please. Um, and and the player, gotcha. did so. the player did. Gotcha. So. Yeah, John and Eric are both yeah. pointing out that the polymorph spell in fifth does have the challenge rating limit. Yeah, the thing is, it's not abbreviated. <laughs> so I was looking. I was looking for, <laughs> CR. for CR. I was standing for CR, right? But yeah. it's written out in English, challenge rating in, in parentheses in the second paragraph. There. Thank you guys for that. Yep, yep, um, and I can see going either way with that, right? That just comes down to like, do you do you right. do you trust your players to self limit or not? When you when you right. point out like, oh, you you missed something. There's a drawback to this spell. Now, what some people like to do, and see, now my next question is like, does fifth edition still have the problem identified by Andy Collins that a new supplement comes out? And there's new animals, maybe exotic animals like a jaguar or a Bigfoot or something like that. Yeah. And it still expands the polymorphing ability. Of course. And and you're Good. at the mercy of did they did they point the challenge rating right? Right. Right. Like, did, did I get it right. right? Is this an is this an appropriate right. challenge rating for this creature? Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. that's that's something. Uh, I still find to be a little weak and a little loose, right? Any anytime any system, anybody's trying to invent some system of like we're going to come up with one number that that rates the difficulty of of this monster, I feel like it, it never really works. It never really works. There's always going to be some. There's good. I think it was Joel Spalsky, the software developer, who said all abstractions are inherently leaky. I think seems comes to mind. Yeah. Um, now, what some people, of course, like to do, and I've seen this with I've seen this with shape shifting magic, and I've seen this with illusions too, is to say that the caster can only create something that they're already familiar with in their natural life. Now, for me, that seems to bring up the problem of like establishing that or documenting it. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to have to have an area on my character sheet for like a wizard that has a polymorph spell of like, here's all the animals that they've seen in their life. 
and to have me and the player now in a competition for, well, I'm walking through the woods. Tell me what kind of animals I've seen in the last week so I can add it to my list or something like sure, that. Sure. And then there's the inevitable um, argument of like, well, when I started playing the game, I wasn't a newborn. Surely my, my character saw things in their childhood. Right. What did right. you see? Where did you grow up? And uh, yeah, yeah. have you been in a game where that was where it was done that way, Paul? Um, I, I, it feels very familiar. I can't think of a specific case, but I feel like uh, I must have been through that. Must have been through that. Wait, are you are you goading me, Dan? Do you remember a game that we were in together where that happened? No, 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 <laughs> no. I, 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 don't. I was, I was hoping you could help jog my memory if I'd missed one. Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also, I'm also uh, right at the moment greatly amused by John's uh, comment there that with massive numbers of sufficiently accurate computer simulations, CRs could work, right, Dan? Um, <laughs> and of course, John's very familiar that I do. Uh, you know, all my game design operations are built on simulating the game, like original D and D in a big computer. Uh, simulation and on my uh, you know on my OED games website I do have a database with results for OD and D of what I call equivalent hit dice which are basically CRs I'm not going to say it's perfect right it's a best stab at it there's exotic abilities I can't handle right you know magic spells I can't handle stuff like that um, and I'm not going to say it's ever perfect but if someone you know if the D and D designers we're doing a, a CR system. Certainly, I would recommend that they don't uh, they don't just rely on the capacity for human beings to play test it. I would recommend they simulate on a computer and get like billions of play tests instead of just a couple. And then even then, Dan, I That's think um, in your in your OED games and in your book of spells, where you took a stab at kind of rewording some of the spells, you actually had to tune polymorph several times, right? Oh, yeah, I, I agree. In fact, this morning, <laughs> I looked it up and I was like, oh, geez, where am I on, where am I on that right now? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm currently working on uh, a third edition version of Book of Spells uh, for, for, for original D&D. And, yeah, I tweaked, I, I tweaked those again. And, you know, just for what it's worth, where I currently am is uh, I have a hit dice limit, mm -hmm. uh, a, a hard hit dice limit specifically of eight. And I have a fixed list of monsters that you're allowed to turn into. I don't try to keep a list of things that you've seen. Now, fortunately, see, the nice thing is that original D&D in the player's book has a list of monsters mm -hmm. specifically listing alignments. Mm -hmm. And so it was really convenient for me to go look at that list. That's the stuff that's available up to eight hit dice. And the up to eight hit dice also just in, in original Dean just magically snips off the supernatural extra dimensional creatures like an Afrit or a genie or an air elemental or things like that. You um, still had to thought it was some things though, right? Like, like various undead and, uh, uh it says a living creature yeah, yeah, from yeah. the list yeah. update hit dice. Original D&D doesn't have any constructs in the first book. So that got taken care of magically for me. What about the undead? Can I turn into a ghoul? Gotta be living. Living. I do have the word living. That's the only qualifier I currently have. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it just uh, says then, it's a living creature from this list, update hit dice. And, and that actually takes a, care of all the problems. We were talking about problems. earlier before the before the stream began, you had a, a specific player who, who pressed this at some point by turning into a sphinx. Uh, is that also then limited by the eight hit die? I can't remember how many hit dice a sphinx Well, is. a really good friend of ours, and he's such a wonderful player. And frankly, more or less what he... So, so when I when I wrote book of spells uh initially 10 
10 plus years ago. You know, that was at a point where DriveThruRPG didn't have official products on it yet. Mm -hmm. uh, the original D&D books weren't available. So a lot of us kind of in the OSR sphere were trying to fill this gap in with retro clone type stuff. And initially, I just took the free third edition SRD and just transported it into a little product and did this. And I'll, I'll just say his name's Dave, just so I have a name. Uh, and so Dave took that and took the original language from third edition, completely broke my game by very cleverly, very cleverly looking through the original monster manual, which we were using at the time, and turning into a Sphinx, which had enormous hit dice, crazy, crazy, crazy great armor class, couldn't hit it, can fly, has a human face to speak with, and has hands that are apparently cast spells because it already has spell casting. So his wizard turned into this unhittable flying super fast monster that could could still cast spells. And frankly, that was the point where I said, you know, I need to make another edit to this whole book because I didn't look at it closely enough to begin with. So uh, huge, huge thanks to Dave for a breaking my game and making me think about it more more deeply. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where the refinement started. So by at the moment, by looking very specifically at the existing monster list in original D and D, there aren't any sphinxes there at least. So that took that off. Okay. okay. Much much to Dave's dismay, I'm sure. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we, we had a good game and he was the star of the one game. And I think that to the extent that my game design has gotten better, I constantly have to thank Dave for kind of kicking me in that direction. Excellent. 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 All right. Yeah. Um, the Definitely run your stuff aspect. by real players. I'll we say haven't that. really <laughs> talked about the spellcasting issue. And that was something that I think I was surprised by also in the fifth edition text that polymorph explicitly prohibits spellcasting of a polymorph creature yeah. in any way, right? regardless of whether right? they have face and hands or not. Uh, although confusingly right. so in a sentence, that, that is just right. really mind-bending because uh, right. it, it kind of jams both those concepts into one sentence and I'm left there. I read it like three times and uh, um, here, I'll just, I'll just put it up so I can, I can remind right. myself what the heck it says. Um, the creature is limited in the actions it can perform by the nature of its new form, and it can't speak, cast spells, or take other actions that require hands or speech. But what if the new form has hands and a face? Yeah. Does, but right. Wait. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's the first when when I read this, that kind of jumped out at me, and I feel very much like this issue in my original, you know, D and D house rules that you just pointed at, Paul, that came out of the third edition text. I feel like the fifth edition designers might be overreacting the same way that I had to respond to that same third edition polymorph plus still cast spells issue that was in there. So how does do you how what is the is there official errata or advice on that issue? It's very know? confusing. Um, yeah. And if you look at some of the more powerful spells, because I believe true polymorph actually specifically does allow casting spells if they have a face and hands. Um, and then uh, there is errata about how. Um, you can, you, there's a writer that says you, while you can't cast spells while polymorphed, you can continue to concentrate on a spell that was previously cast. So that's, that's a thing. 
I see that that, back, that bit, back door is, <laughs> yeah. answers that question. Now, I, will, right? I, I think I know where that came from because that's explicitly in the fifth edition Druid wild shape ability. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a little bit more explicit. Obviously, that's earlier in the same book. Um, and the uh, uh, it says it says you can't. So here's the Druid wild shape ability. One of the paragraphs says you can't cast spells, and your ability to speak or take any action requires hands is limited to the capabilities of your beast form. Uh, transforming doesn't break your concentration on a spell you've already cast, however, uh, or prevent you from taking actions that are part of a spell, such as call lightning that you've already cast. So I feel like that um, that sage advice or whatever we call it these days uh, is probably channeling the the rule they've got in for druids to make that consistent, which, is, which I can see why they did that. Well, William in the chat wants to know about psionics. Mm, let's let's not go down that road. Not yet. Not in the last five minutes. <laughs> uh, it's very confusing. I would recommend maybe uh, if you want to need an answer to that, email polymorph at wizards.com. Uh, see if they respond to your question. Uh, Dan, Dan we, I, I feel like we've talked about the problem a lot and come up with no answers whatsoever. And we're in the very end of the show. Uh, any final thoughts on shape changing <laughs> without actually having uh, answered any of our questions? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's tricky. I mean, you know, okay. Now look, as you know, as 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 reading the D and D game designers, let's cut them some slack. They've only been working at this for about fifty years. <laughs> I'm sure that at some point it's going to get dialed in reasonably. It needs to be part of our game. Right. Yeah. So at the end of at the end of three point five, you you don't want to have a fantasy game that just lops out this rich, rich uh, tradition of thinking about what it's like to be another type of being. Right. That should be part of the things that we get to pretend at, and it should be part of the things that we get to leverage in our fantasy games. So it, it it's got to be in there, and getting the mechanics right. And getting the abilities right, and whether it's a whether it's good or bad, is tough. Um, and I, I I do think that um, you know for me it's working well to have a explicitly limited list to begin with. It does not expand. Mm -hmm. I, I got to admit I, that that feels about right to me. Uh, and to cap it somehow by challenge rating or hit dice seems reasonable-ish to me as well. And then the rest are details. And it seems like we ought to be able to someday figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I my my instinct is that that it's it's overly systemized. That like at that some level you just gotta let go of the reins and say, you know, up to DM fiat here. Like just give the the players and the DM enough space to say, you're gonna have to do some interpretation here because this is just such a wide thing. Such a wide we can't possibly write enough text that will completely enclose the problem. Some people would complain about that. Yep, some I'm people sure. would. Some people would really uh, would really criticize having a book that did that uh, yeah. Yeah. in many contexts. Yeah. So but, I mean, honestly, this is why I prefer the older editions, but for a lot of reasons, uh, in a lot or in a lot of different places, um, but especially here, where it's just like, well, just just don't bother. Just don't. Just give me less text and the authority to interpret. As old school players, I feel like that should be on the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and yet I wind up, you know, making rulings and wanting to be consistent and wanting to document that and wind up 
wind up, you know, admittedly tuning it. But I want it short enough that I can remember it. That it is still funny that the the text is still you know long enough in third fifth edition that you and I are having an abnormal amount of difficulty even finding what the rules are. Yeah. And you know, big big thanks to our research team of viewers today. Uh, who even even now are reminding us about stuff that we, that we kind of overlooked a couple minutes back, um, and it's um, the, as soon as you have that much text, you really ought to back off in your rules and go. We got to find some way to cut this down, and maybe sometimes I go too far in the other direction. I've had one or two people tell me that once in a while recently. <laughs> but uh, if it gets if your spell text gets to a whole page, you really ought to back off because you're not going to be able to read and parse that in play. Viewers, if you have any thoughts on this uh, or specific uh, rules that are areas of polymorph that it causes problems that we haven't discussed, because I bet they exist, uh, or funny stories of how your players abused a polymorph spell, uh, leave that for us in the comments. We'd love to read it. Uh, maybe we will have to come back and do a, a Shape Change 2 Electric Boogaloo episode. I would like to. I would like to see that. Like, I would like to see other people's experiences. Yeah. Whether or not the uh, keep a list of animals that you've seen in the past has worked well or worked poorly for you, I would love to see that and come back to this because we barely scratched the surface about uh, druids and we got to talk about lycanthropes and psionics and a whole bunch of other stuff at some point in the future too, and possibly work together on the complete Polymorphers Handbook, <laughs> which must be a hardcover book, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> Full column. Yeah. Excellent. Now, if you are new to the channel, uh, remember that you can like and uh, follow and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs, on a bunch of social media sites like Twitch and Twitter and YouTube and Facebook, and also GitHub, because we are on all those sites. So please look for us there, and you'll get updates on upcoming shows and guests. If you prefer to listen to our lovely voices without the video, uh, you can do so. You can get the podcast version of this show at our website at wanderingdms.com. Uh, we're a little behind in pulling those out, but uh, they are. Uh, it is happening, uh, so new, newer episodes will be coming out. Uh, you can also find those through other carriers such as Google Podcast and Spotify and Stitcher and iTunes and all those places. Uh, if you're listening to us on one of those third-party carriers, please take a, ma a minute to rate and review us on that site. That helps uh, other users of that uh, site uh, find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do appreciate that. And also, big thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering Games show. Uh, if you're in a position where you'd like to join them, please do visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms, and you see a bunch of different tiers where we have discounts on merch access to our private Discord server. Uh, we should have monthly behind-the-scenes videos, polls, and surveys. Again, in the summer, we're a little bit behind on that, but we should be picking up shortly. And also, after-party chat that we have every Sunday right after the show. So in a couple of minutes, we will be on our Discord server for live video chat with our patrons. Um, so, of course, Paul, you've got a new 10 Dead Rats coming up tomorrow on Monday, yes? I do indeed. Awesome. We'll be looking forward to that. Um, and then uh, we should be back with a Book of War Wargaming on Saturday should be the schedule for that. So a bunch of stuff coming up this week. Don't forget, of course, that we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please, we hope that you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.